This program is brought to you by thepodcastfactory.com. You are listening to Copy Chief Radio. We took the week off last week because Kevin was doing a stand-up set and I was changing diapers, but we are back this week. <laughs> what's up, Kevin? <laughs> man, it was like we're going back in time. Um, yeah, man, it's great to be back with you. And, you know, so much exciting stuff going on in both of our lives. We thought for this episode, we're going to uh, talk about what we got going on, kind of give a little little more personal view, a little backstage tour of our lives, if you will. And uh, But don't worry, it won't be just like watching uh, The View or something. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna work some marketing lessons into this. Uh, so, Jonathan, I'm, I'm excited to sort of catch up with you. And, man, you've had some uh, really epic things happen in your life. There is no way that your life looks or feels just like it did last time we spoke. And why don't you tell us why? Uh, well, we're doing the, the Snapchat of podcasts here, behind the scenes look. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. The problem is I'm a structured dude. Actually, I don't know if that's a problem. Most people like that who work with me because I'm structured and accountable and you really know what I'm up to. And my life has been shaken upside down. I thought that I was going to be the exception to the rule, but uh, after three long years... We finally got matched with our baby boy, Cupcake and I uh, were doing an adoption, and after three long years, we got matched. We picked him up uh, almost a month ago to the day that we're recording this, and everything that I thought was going to be was not. My life's turned upside down. My schedule's a mess, and I find myself now waking up at 2.30 in the morning just so I can get work done so that I have time to spend with them in the morning because Cupcake's at home now. She's working at the podcast factory with me, and then we have little Dong running around and causing a ruckus everywhere you look, and good grief, things are a little different than expected, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, you know, I know this was a long time coming, and yeah, you're you're a private guy in a lot of ways. Although you've uh, posted as many uh, photos of your son uh, as anyone have ever seen on Facebook, so that made me feel good that you're up for sharing this journey because, you know, so many people go through this. They get into life as an entrepreneur, and it's funny because I my kids are. Uh, 10 and, and, and 12. And um, I always think, yeah, you know, it, like if I'm look, you know, we're constantly assessing how we're doing compared to other people, right? In this, these times we live in, so many entrepreneurs and business owners and freelancers are, you know, basically uh, blogging about their lives daily uh, in Snapchat and on Facebook. And uh, for me, I cannot j compare my productivity or my lifestyle to someone who doesn't have kids, right? And if you say that to somebody without kids, they're thinking, ah, it's an excuse. If I had kids, I, I just, all you got to do is just get them in line mm. and, <laughs> and, and, and let <laughs> it be known. This is daddy's <laughs> schedule. <laughs> and and, and that's, that becomes very funny when they actually bring a child into the world. So, um Tell us, tell us about it. Like, is that what you were thinking? Like, 
all right, yeah, you know, once we get settled, I'll just go right back to the routine. Yeah, I was delusional. <laughs> really, that the the schedule is the new schedule, which is dictated by Dong. Okay, he's the one that tells us what to do. He's got a nap time. He's got to eat. He's got to have diapers changed. And so, the only real boundary that I've been able to keep so far, and I know it won't last, is that he is not allowed in my office. That's okay. the only real bond boundary because yeah, I have audio equipment. I have a bookshelf. These things could fall on him. So yeah. he's not allowed in here. And that's mm-hmm. the one thing. But as far as time goes, we thought we, things were going to be different. But he gets up at seven. And so yeah, it's breakfast time and bottle time and, and cleanup time and all, all your, your time. You just, dude, I've never, ever had so many dishes in my life. I've never had so much uh, laundry. We've never had so much laundry. We've been together 10 years and we're like, we're doing laundry every day. What the hell is this? <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we got, and the trash, like we used to take the trash out once a week. Now it's once a day. <laughs> like everything revolves around this little kid. So it was shocking to me. But I'll tell you what, Kevin, the one gift that I have is I have been in such great control of my schedule that I can still make it work. Although what we're doing now is Rachel's or Cupcake, I want to keep her name correct there. Cupcake (laughs) is managing my calendar and we're putting in flex time, either morning flex time or afternoon flex time where I can either work or be with them or just take care of him while she does stuff. But... Everything else has been turned upside down, and my structure, the only way I get anything done, like I said today, I got up at 2.30 in the morning to make sure I got ahead of my day. Wow, incredible. Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, but, you know, obviously, there's lots of joy within that. We don't want to make it sound like your your life has been turned upside down, and you're thinking, <laughs> what the hell did I do? Even though it's only been a month, and uh, I think all parents think that in the first month. <laughs> Actually, Kevin, we were, we were, we wondered, right, a lot of people during the process, and it was very frustrating to us when people would say, did you meet him yet? I'm like, no, <laughs> when we meet him, he's ours. And so we didn't understand why people asked that, and we really didn't understand why the adoption agency did that. But when we got his little ass home, and he cried for hours and hours and hours and tried to hit us, we're like, mm. are we making a mistake? Mm. Did yeah. we, like, is, uh, did we think this through? Hell, we had three years to think it through, prepare, and we still asked ourselves that. And her and I, Cupcake and I, are really established, 10 years married. We're established. We know each other. We know ourselves. We know how we work as a team. And it was still that hard. But I will say this. We're talking today. And yesterday, we had one of the best days. Like, he didn't ask for bottle because we're trying to get him off the bottle. He's too old for that. Uh, we're trying to get him on solid food. He did not ask for the bottle all day. He actually peed on the toilet which it was like, oh, my God, we're going to get this kid out of diapers. There's light, light at the end of this tunnel here. Yeah. Um, he uh, he ate food all day. He did not whine. He did not cry. He gave me hugs. He played ball with us. He, he sat on Rachel's lap. Like, yesterday was the absolute best day that we've had with him. And, and the thing was, I had some stress coming from work. And it was like really weighing on me. And I don't usually stress about work. This was weighing on me heavy. And it just melted away with this kid coming and hugging me and playing ball with me. I was like, man, who cares? This is what counts right Right. here. Ah, that's beautiful. And those are the moments uh, for any parent. You know, it's it just instant perspective, instant uh, grounding of what matters and what's important. So, 
Good for you. Well, what what an adventure. Uh, you know, and how old is Don? He is uh, two years, three months. Okay, two years, three months. Yeah. So, I mean, that 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 whole part of it in adoption, I mean, you know, in traditional, you know, uh, parenting, I guess, however you <laughs> <laughs> properly say that, um, you, you know, you, you, you'd know every little quirk by now, right? And then here's this uh, this, this child in, into your life with, with all his, um, you have to quickly try to catch up to all his tendencies and, and quirks and, and likes and dislikes. It's, it's an amazing thing to do. And I'm sure, you know, undoubtedly it's going to be the most rewarding thing ever. And, uh, it sounds like it's already headed that way. So again, congratulations. I, I remember talking to you guys over dinner about this whole process. It's such an intense thing in, in such a, it, it, it felt to me like, uh, you know, at one hand, it's like um, being in a long distance love affair with somebody you never officially met yet. Right. You're, <laughs> you're in love with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like that. It's like, you know, it is. It, it's like being catfished and going through bankruptcy at the first time <laughs> at, at the same time with the level of paperwork or like an audit or something, you know, yeah. just the level of red tape and stuff that that, that is required. Uh, my goodness. So. Uh, I really just admire you guys and your your dedication to it, and your and I know you guys have a lot of love to give, and it's it's just going to be beautiful. So thank you, thank you. So let's enough about me. Let's talk about you. I, I've heard some rumors that you are taking the stage again and getting behind the mic, and I want to know. I want to confirm them here on Copy Chief Radio. What's going on there? Well. Yeah, I, I won't. I, I won't yet reveal the the impetus for this. Um, for this new adventure, but I'll tell you what's great about it. You know, as, as some listeners may not know, I, uh, I was a stand-up comic for almost a decade professionally. I started when I was 18 and, you know, toured around making my living week to week, club to club, uh, for, you know, a solid seven, eight years on the road. And, uh, then a few years of sort of getting off the road, and uh, it was an amazing experience, and it, in a lot of ways, feels like a lifetime ago because I've now been away from it for ten years, doing you know uh, my new love, copywriting, and running my community. And I feel really blessed for this sort of like really does feel like I could split my life in 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 two you know in two halves. Um, and so you know, but it was always there. Like when I speak. Uh, at a conference, Jonathan, the stand, the minute my feet hit a stage that stand up is back, right? It's like, you know, you spend 10 years be- evolving into a certain kind of performer. You don't just turn that off in a, in a different setting. And so my favorite moments, anytime I speak are when I feel that same sort of creative rush or surge or things happen in the moment that aren't expected. Those are always the best moments. And I can't say they've all always been the smartest decision. <laughs> there, there have been a couple of times I've said things from the stage at a, at a marketing conference and I see people's heads whip back a little bit, you know, and they're like, and I'm like, oh, well, damn it. They're, they're, <laughs> they don't even know I used to be a comic. Like they're, no one's expecting this, you know, yeah. like uh, somebody will heckle or something and it's like, whoop, you know, go right back into gun gunfighter mode or something. But uh so uh, I, I don't know, you know, whenever people would ask me about it, I'd say, they'd say, do you miss it? And I'd say, you know, yeah, I miss parts of it, but I, I love my new life so much that I don't really 
I don't long for it. And I get a, a lot of creative uh, juice out of what I do now. So it's not that different in some ways. But I started thinking more about um, the, just the, the pure act of being a stand-up comedian and how uh, unique it is for one person to stand on a stage holding nothing but a microphone in most cases, unless you're, you know, carrot top <laughs> or a guitar act or something. But, you know, in its purest form, a monologist is there and you look uh, and sound essentially like everybody else in the room, but everybody's staring at you and they're having this amazing reaction to just the words you're saying, right? And it's really a, a, a unique, it's, it's a beautiful art form in that respect. And that's what I started to miss. I, and, I, and I thought, yeah, how different w would that experience be now? Because uh, my life is so different. I mean, we just talked about your life being sort of turned upside down. My life, uh, when I think back to the, you know, when I was a comic, like I said, just being single. Yeah, I was single that whole time. Now I've been, you know, married going on 18 years. My kids are, you know, be, becoming teenagers. And uh, it is, I just almost can't recognize that kid who did stand up. But at the same time, I somehow feel like I haven't changed a bit. <laughs> I'm still pretty immature in a lot of ways. And I like to have fun. And I, I'll always go for the joke when it's there, you know. And so uh, I just thought it'd be really interesting to bring sort of the evolution of my adult life and how I've become more disciplined uh, about writing and the creative process and even just managing projects uh, and bring that to stand up because stand ups are not known for their, you know, organization. <laughs> no structure there. Huh? <laughs> not a lot of structure, not a lot of goal setting, like, you know, uh, and I thought, it, but what's interesting is that's part, it's kind of important that that's the case because that stuff can get in the way of the, of the creative energy, you know? But I will say the most successful comics I know, they have a nice balance of that. They uh, think of like Louis C.K. When I first met Louis, he uh, was debuting a film at the Chicago Comedy Festival, which I co-produced with a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, Louis clearly had a bigger ag agenda than just doing stand-up. Um, and that took a certain amount of... Uh, chutzpah and so i kind of you could tell like there's a guy who's really going to do well pat oswald was similar um even zach galifianakis who seemed so aloof uh you could see that this is a guy who works on another level um and so uh yeah i don't know it's just uh, here's what i'm loving about it dude is um the minute i decided to to take it on uh, uh things started happening that I just couldn't predict, like all the serendipity, you know? For instance, um, I decided I was gonna get back on stage, and the first thing I wanted to do, of course, was get back into the writing. And a friend of mine named Danny, who's a great comic, Danny Bevins, uh, runs a workshop here on St. Pete Beach, and he had told me uh, a long time ago uh, that I could, you know, he invited me, hey, come down anytime. And at the, at, back then I thought, yeah, that'd be neat, but I got no use for it. And so I walk into uh, 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 
a place called the Shave Cave because uh, I, I needed my head shaved and Danny's sitting in the barber chair. I'm like, what? And so uh, he says, yeah, man, I told him what I'm up to. So I went down there the next week and I'll tell you, Jonathan, that was the greatest thing because it's like, uh, imagine any mastermind you're in or a part of where it's people sitting around kind of brainstorming uh, for each other's benefit, right? Somebody will pose an issue or a problem and everybody weighs in on how to help them. Well, that's what this workshop is like, but it's all helping each other write jokes. So one comic will get on the stage and he'll open up his notebook and he'll say, okay, I'm working on a thing about uh, those bikes you lay in. You know, and somebody's like, it's called a recumbent bike. Okay, <laughs> recumbent bike, that's what it, yeah. So, and then everybody just starts riffing on the, on those bikes, you know, like we're saying like, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's the laziest form of exercise whatsoever. It's like, I want to be in better shape, but I don't want to sit upright, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so everybody, everybody just starts riffing and everybody's cracking up. And I thought, man, like, this is what I miss. Whenever people would say, do you miss it? My mind would sort of secretly go to that. It's like, I could tell you this. I used to laugh a lot more and I laugh a lot now. But when you're a comic or you're around comics, the beauty of it is that that's all any comic lives for is the joke. Whether you're sitting at a lunch counter, driving in a car, or you're on stage in front of 500 people. It's, we're just built to find the joke and make, get a laugh, whether it's one person or, you know, a stadium full of people. And every comic is the same in that regard. And I realized that that, that, that has never gone away in me. So now, uh, it's what's exciting about it is, um, I'm coming back to this 10 years later with a total beginner's mindset, right? I mean, making no assumptions about how quickly I can progress. Uh, you know, I, I have to rediscover myself as a, as a joke writer and a performer. And uh, those, though, it's in some ways just as scary as, and exciting as when I first did it in 1988. Uh, except now I have the advantage of all this extra knowledge about how uh, how to be persuasive and how to win people over. But I can tell you this, it's easy to take my lessons as a stand-up comic and apply them to copywriting because you can really control the process of copywriting. It is much more difficult to think you're going to bring um, uh, the practice of persuasion into a stand-up comedy environment because so much of it relies on you being in the moment you know it's in it, and, and to to use nlp and things like that it can be done but it requires you being sort of calculated right uh and so i'm finding that i'm having to let go of a lot of the things i use in copy in order to get back to the stage in my purest form as a as a comic and as a performer so it's this really fascinating juxtaposition of my two lives and I'm eager to see how it turns out. I haven't done a set yet. Uh, I've been writing a lot of material. It's all just totally half-baked. Um, <laughs> I feel really thankful to have this workshop where I feel safe to just go throw out ideas and have people help me 
come up with the best jokes and then it's going to be about trying to put some structure to it and and then getting on stage and seeing yeah again like that just opens up a channel of spontaneity in your brain that you can't fake you can't do it in a notebook you can't mimic it in any other sense you're you have to be under that spotlight with a hot mic in your hand and the pressure's on it's the only way to open that channel so that's the next step and uh I'll let you know how it goes. That's exciting, man. Yeah, and I would really, I'm dying to know what was the catalyst to get you back in there, but I'm sure we'll be covering that on another show. But I'm wondering, how, how is it, how is it, like, different for you? Because you said there was a power in being up on the stage and sort of holding court or controlling the room. How is it different with the comedy versus you speaking in, fi- in front of 500 people about marketing? You're still kind of controlling the room, but what's what's the feeling for you that's different? Uh, the difference is that people are expecting you to get laughs. And, Be and funny, it, funny boy. Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of like an arms folded. All right, let's see what you got, right? Whereas in a marketing conference, they are expecting none of that. And if you, if you can get some good laughs, like spontaneous in the moment laughs, people freak out. It's like, uh, this is the greatest thing ever. I thought I was going to sit here and have to slug through somebody else's talk and maybe I'll get some helpful pointers. Instead, I'm sitting here laughing my ass off and getting some good content, you know? And so it feels like, I always say at a conference, it's, I feel like I'm cheating, you know, again, because, you know, I've got this ace up my sleeve that nobody's expecting and, uh, I'm using slides, you know, like yeah, total cheating for a comic. Like <laughs> you can't use you. It's got to be there with cue cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's 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 probably the biggest difference as far as approaching it as a performer is. I, you know, you got to know the joke. You, you got to sort of rehearse it and know how you want to say it, and um, and then and then you then you start sort of like a b split testing essentially where you'll try it one way the first show and then the second show you're like, ah, maybe I'm going to use a different word or switch this or that. And, um, the, the jokes just evolve, but you know, comics, they don't have a script. They, they have, uh, a, a, an arsenal of jokes that they've built in their mind. But you know, it, it is, the whole goal is to be as unscripted as possible, like within the framework of what you've developed over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You're pulling from different resources. It's not a linear thing. It's right. what's right. There's a flow to it. Yeah, it's just like zero pressure at a market. Like even if I try some jokes and they don't land, people will still like be thank- thankful I tried, at least to be entertaining. <laughs> but I know my content's good. I know I'm going to teach them something cool, right? So it's, there's no pressure. Except, except what I put on myself. Of course, I want to kill the room. I want to be the best speaker. That's just the natural. The only time I'm really competitive in, in life is when it comes to performing. You know, I, I, that's just inbred in me from, uh, bred in me from those days of stand up where it was, you know, who could kill the room the hardest? That was all we cared about. And, uh, that's never gone away. So, it's not like I'm coming at this lightly and going, yeah, hopefully I'll, I can get through five minutes and get a couple chuckles. My thing is I, I'm, I'm willing to start out and be very humbled again in the beginning, but make no mistake, I'm out to kill. And as every comic is, they, that's, it's either that or nothing. You know, Nobody's looking to just get by with some laughs. You, you're looking to kill the room. 
So this is Mission Kill the Room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I smell a new Copy Chief product coming. <laughs> so, Kevin, what will you have in store for us next time? Uh, great question. Um, it, well, I'll tell you what. I want to talk about a few of the shows coming up. Next, we're going to talk with uh, uh, my man, uh, Mike Renard. Uh, uh, I think you know Mike. Uh, yeah, really smart guy. This is a guy who's come out of sort of nowhere, entered Copy Chief, and what he does that's unique is he's a retail um, uh, copywriter. You know, I don't meet many of those, and that's his specialty because he comes out of the retail world, and he's a, just a brilliant writer. I love his copy. He's a great storyteller. He's really great at email. And so he recently did a uh, retail brand launch uh, for a company he, he was freelancing for, and they had an amazing result. So he's got to give us a case study of that, uh, that launch, which is going to be cool. And then uh, we're also going to, coming up, because we talked a little bit about uh, productivity, a couple shows down the road, we're going to talk to uh, Abby Woodcock and Casey Bainey. And uh, that's an amazing story. And that's going to be like super helpful for particularly for copywriters who want to be more productive and get jobs done faster. Oh, wow. Lots of good stuff, Lots of coming, stuff up. coming up. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Copy Chiefs, for tuning in. And we'll be back in your earbuds next time. You've been listening to Copy Chief Radio. Thank you for tuning in. If you're digging what we are laying down for you, then your next step is to go over to iTunes, type in Copy Chief Radio into the search bar, and when you find a show, subscribe. We will be back in your earbuds next week. is the podcastfactory.com